2: Feel like
1: Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane More NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts, and it is Tuesday afternoon of the 2021 NBA All Star break. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves haven't played a game in five days, which feels both kind of like an eternity and also just a just a blessing, given how condensed and kind of brutal this season has been thus far. But the Wolves will be back on Thursday uh, in New Orleans to play the Pelicans. So this is sort of our last chance to take stock of the team at the halfway point of the year. Uh, Jace Frederick of the Pioneer Press is probably the person I talk to the most about the Timberwolves that isn't recorded um, on, on podcasts. And that's uh, because we sit next to each other at Target Center in our little COVID bubble. And when it's a road game, we, we text each other all the things we can't say on Twitter. Uh <laughs> <laughs>
2: Those texts ever went public, I would be in trouble.
1: (laughs) Jace uh, Jace joins me recorded on the podcast today to take stock of the Wolves roster. Jace, I've listened to you. I listened to two Jace Frederick podcasts already this morning. I went back and listened to our preseason podcast, which I'm going to make fun of us for later. Um, But then I also listened to your new golf podcast, Bunker to Bunker. Thanks for coming on. Tell me about what's going on with Bunker to Bunker.
2: Yeah. New golf podcast. Um, golf has become, and you always make fun of me for this, but it's <laughs> literally become like one of my favorite sports. Um, I consume it like Thursday to Sunday and it's one of those sports that like I can sit and write about the Timberwolves while golf's just on mute in the background. I've right. just fallen in love with it. I fall in love with the pace of it. Uh, and my friend, Jamie Zutani, uh, your friend as well, Covers the Minnesota Wildfire paper. He's in the same boat, and we talk about it all the time. And there aren't that many people to talk about golf too. Like, if I was like Dane, <laughs> did you see that shot this guy hit this weekend? You'd look at me like you're an idiot. So the, there was <laughs> one.
1: There was one golf tournament I've watched this year, and it was on accident. And it was I'm not even I'm gonna butcher this, but it was it was the insane one. It was like June where Dustin Johnson and the other dude Fromm or something they both Rom, hit those crazy yeah, putts. Rom, yeah. And I was like, dude, golf is the coolest thing ever. Like, <laughs> this this is the best. And my friend I was watching with he's like, this is this is not what it's normally like. To yeah. Like, How did that, not that, suck that you day in? was awesome. That day it was, I had so much fun. I'm like, dude, those putts are so long, and they're both <laughs> making them. These guys are so good at golf. It was uh, it was it was insane. That's not what we're gonna talk about today. We're not, I can't. I can't talk about golf. Unfortunately.
2: Uh, <laughs> You're going to have to come on. You'll have to listen to Bunker to Bunker to listen to Dane talk about golf one day.
1: Okay. Yeah, that would be really good. Really good stuff. Um, So we're at the halfway point of the season, Jace. And um, what I want to talk about today is like, you know, my pods with Britt end up being like way too wolves existential, you know? And it's, I just feel like it just ends up, Britt ends up talking about the Tom Thibodeau era for like 20 minutes and we, I can't help it. We get into that. You know, I want to talk about this roster and this team right now, what it's been recently and what we kind of think it's going to be this next chunk of games. And, and just like the, the line of the sand I've started to draw is Anthony Edwards began starting 19 games sure. ago, which is essentially the second quarter of the season. Right. And um, so I want to look at that second quarter of the season, which was obviously loaded with losses and, And just try and take things away from specific players and then use that to kind of look at, what's this third quarter of the season going to look like? That's basically what Timberwolves fans have to look at, right? At this point is, you know, you're looking for, could this player be a part of the future? Um, You know, piece by piece kind of on the roster. So I sent you that uh, spreadsheet of the the most recent 19 games, the Edwards starting period of time. Uh, Did anything kind of... Specific, specifically stick out to you from a player standpoint there?
2: Um, I think for me, it was kind of that there was a stretch there where every every metric for Jade McDaniels was awesome, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was shooting the ball well. His net ratings were great. And seeing now, like, 18 games after this recent rough stretch and how it's really kind of fallen back to earth, it has me questioning, like, I see the skill set, but what's the truth about Jaden McDaniels? Uh, sure. What kind of player is he? Like, is he somebody – was he just hot? from deep uh to start for that little stretch there and we're like wow this is a really good actually corner spacing guy and just defensive impact um there's a skill set there for sure but trying to examine like what the Timberwolves have in him right now and where he can go it's maybe like it's a little bit more of a reality check like okay he's not he's not this like starting caliber player right now in his NBA career
1: well even during the the hot run, or whatever you want to call it, like the hot run, yeah, it, yeah, it it, re, it was confusing what he does offensively. You know, right. he was making over that stretch like oh, thirty nine percent of his threes, so he like checks the box of like offensive player, right? But you know, there's other boxes on the offensive side of the floor, and it was like, what is. What is Jaden McDaniels doing at all offensively other than shooting? And and I know some people are probably like, well, you don't need him to be a high usage guy. All you need him is to you know make some corner threes and stuff. But to your point, it's like, what happens if for a run of games, he is only shooting 30% of, from three? Or what if he just isn't like a high caliber shooter? Then what else can his offensive game be? And if he doesn't kind of add to that pot offensively, I think... Yeah, we began looking at him as more of a role player option rather than the starting power forward of the future, you know, for this team. So I don't know. Have you is there anything else offensively? Like if, if Jade McDaniels has a good second half of the season offensively, what has he done other than make threes?
2: I think made just a few more plays off the bounce. And it's there's just been a few different transition plays this season where he will. He'll like bring it up the court. He'll get an outlet, and he'll go coast to coast, and he'll finish with like one of those little runners and mm-hmm. score. Where it's like, there's a skill set there for it. Um, we just never see it in the half court. I wouldn't mind at all if he's in the corner and somebody's closing out hard on him, like making a move and going off the bounce. And we just don't see a lot of that. And maybe, maybe you know, he's a. He's a rookie, and he's just not ready to expand that bag of tricks yet, I guess, at this level. And maybe
1: but it would look like Josh Akogi if you started it doing might. it.
2: Right, but in the full court, like, you know, we see Josh in transition, and it's like, yep, okay, nope, don't want to do that. Right. But I've seen Jaden look smooth enough times where it's like, yeah. I think it's there. Um, just, I don't know, expand what you do a little bit more on that end of the court so you're not such a one-dimensional offensive player.
1: Yeah, no, I I think that's... That is, I mean, and this Finch era has really just kind of dragged him down, right? Yeah. In, in terms of these, these counting stats, or are just minutes. I mean, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, to what extent, like, Finch and Rosas are of one mind when it comes to how they're using this roster in the second half of the year because, right, you, you kind of put together and it, you would think Rosas would want to play the guy he just took in the, the first round, yet Finch hasn't really been playing him, so... I don't know. Like, I feel like when I go down the list of Timberwolves the second half of the year, like, I got a big question mark next to Jaden McDaniels. I could see him being the starting five, or the the fifth starter. Or I could see him, you know, fringe of the rotation as he has been, and Finch is kind of like, well, we're going to have him, like, bide his time. I really don't know.
2: That's what it's – I think they have to make – because we look at all – you know, people love talking about all these trade rumors and, like, oh, can they get this guy? Can they get this guy? Without really ever admitting that, like – you have to part with somebody for that. And, uh, you know, there are so many of these young players that fans love because they've done some things and they've shown some flashes, and that's fair. But, like, you're going to have to maybe move like a Jade McDaniels if you want even just one of these rotation players or something like that. So maybe figure out exactly what the value of these guys are to your team. Like, right. It's not always just about pumping up somebody's trade value. It's also figuring out, like, who do we want to – who are we actually comfortable getting rid of? Like, what, what do we know about this player and what their future is going to be like, so we're not making we trade? some – yeah. You don't want to make some big mistake, you know? I mean, uh... Exactly.
1: No, it's a good way. It's like, okay, if Jaden McDaniels was on another team right now, what would we trade for him? You know? Like right. right. It's kind of it's kind of that sort of thing if you're looking at it through the trade deadline lens. Um the two numbers that stood out to me um, were shooting percentages while well, I looked at this okay. 19, you know, game run and I at the first one that stood out was Ricky Rubio shooting 40% from 3. <laughs> Over, over 19 games. Yeah. I mean, like, it, it's – sometimes we have to do this, right, where, like – because Rubio, if you just look at basketballreference.com, he's shooting 32% from three on the season. Well, that's because he shot 18% in right. the first quarter of the season, and now he shot 40%. So it's like, do I believe Ricky Rubio is a 40% three-point shooter? No. But it is very encouraging to see him not – like that, the suggestion that he could approach average rather than being that eighteen percent guy, and I think it's critical that he is a shooting option. I mean, that's what we were all banking on it was the the way he would be able to play by D'Angelo, next to D'Angelo Russell is the idea that he could be a capable wide open catch and shoot three point shooter. So I think, I don't know. I mean, it's it's fifty five threes. I twenty two of fifty five. I think the number was that's forty percent. Like it's not a minuscule sample size. I think it's fair to say that Ricky Rubio you know is kind of starting to find a rhythm, not only with his shot, but like it's night and day better. In the, was has been night and day better in the second quarter of the season for Rubio than it was for the first quarter.
2: And that and this isn't like just some random sample size where he's never been a good shooter. Like this is coming off his best NBA shooting season which nope. finished 3 months before this season. So it almost it didn't make sense that he went from, you know, 36 whatever it was, 36% ish um from three and then all of a sudden three months later couldn't shoot that didn't make mm-hmm. sense it didn't line up it does make you wonder like how many games has he shared with russell in this stretch like six something like that yeah um, yeah and
1: actually that, probably even less than that because he missed a couple oh yeah Russell's ricky missed a couple six. of those
2: games yeah so it's
1: probably like four
2: <laughs> yeah yeah so that so maybe that has something to do with, well no Rubio played all 19 of this stretch
1: Oh, yeah, no, that is true. Okay, so he played six with
2: Russell over the stretch. Yeah, and I I don't know. Is that how much does that play a role in it? Um, Just the rhythm and whatnot? I I think it
1: certainly did play a role in the first quarter of the season. I don't think that that, like, I'm not of the mind that the Ricky Rubio and DeAndre Russell thing could never, ever, possibly ever work because it was so bad the first quarter of the season. Do I think that is an optimal use of either of them to play alongside another point guard? I don't think so, but we're talking about the Timberwolves here and putting out a rotation. Like, yeah, you've got what you got. Right. Like I think Ricky Rubio playing or DLO sliding up to the two and Rubio playing at the one could very clearly be a better option than playing a Kogi or Culver at the two for those 12 minutes a game. Like it's not, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I, I, but, but seriously, it's, it's not, it's certainly worth something to look at again. And I think if you would have, if we would have talked about this, 18 games into the season, the first quarter, I'd be like, pitch it. Like, the yeah. rubio Delo thing, no way. But I do think if and when Delo comes back, might as well take another look at it because if Rubio's going to be here past the deadline, if he's going to be here next season, to get him 24 minutes a game, you basically have to play him next to Delo for some sort of stretch of time. So I'm, I'm curious to see how Finch approaches that because Ryan was... Ryan was bizarre with it. Right. Like he was with it. Like, okay, we're going to go Dilo Rubio. And then he stopped. And it was, it was just kind of awkward. Right.
2: I think with Ryan, it was, it was always with everything, very reactionary I thought. Um, and some, some people thought with like the Russell Rubio I think it should have been scrapped even earlier, but there were a lot of other things where I thought, okay, this is good for a game. Let's go to it. This is bad for two games. Let's scrap it. You know, mm. um, and that wasn't the case for like the big philosophy, but just like rotational stuff, it was, yeah. it was always changing, you know, where there wasn't much consistency. And some of that had to do with injuries, but some of it had to do with guys who were just always there. Like
1: he said it, he's like, I'm searching for something. Yeah. Right. Like, right. And I don't actually, I don't even really blame him for that. No, like, no. <laughs> we're losing all the time. Right. And this is going terribly when pairing X or Y, you know, are together. So, but, but yeah, I don't like, I think we know that the Rubio and Russell thing didn't work when it was out there, but it was, it also wasn't given a lot of time to breathe. Right. And, and whatever, might as well throw stuff at the wall here, like, and, and see what you can get.
2: I'm curious with Finch and his comments after the game Wednesday about how if guys don't play hard, they're going to like not play essentially. And then we might have to tighten the rotation. Who do you think say they do that? say they go down to nine or eight who's in jeopardy well so so i was
1: scribbling down about this before and it, it like once you have beasley and dilo back if we say that's the trade deadline who knows when it is but let's say it's that like you got a lot of guys who are going to get pinched out like mm-hmm. per, even if it's a even if it stays at a 10-man rotation like you're already at the point where when those guys are back that like Culver, O'Kogee, and Noel are all probably on the outside looking in. If you're given Cat, Nas, McDaniels, Vanderbilt, Lehman, Ant, Beasley, D'Lo, and Rubio minutes, like that's nine. So you got Culver, Okogi, Noel, McLaughlin, and Hernan Gomez who are all not part of that nine. So I mean, to answer your question, probably all of them. Sure. Are, yeah. <laughs> like I don't I don't know I don't know who I don't know who you plug
2: back in there. How about how about right out of the break here, um, without Russell and Beasley?
1: Well, I think then you at least have one of yeah, Jalen's
2: probably in, right? I mean,
1: well, that's maybe. what I, that's what I was kind of looking at. I'm not I, like, sure, yeah. Back and forth. yeah.
2: I'm not sure who's disappointed him most. Like everybody's looked pretty bad from my perspective. Uh, there aren't a lot of people where I've been like, well, they've been good, um, mm. but but it's the other guys who are really letting them down. So I'm trying to think of like what he's talking about and who's not bringing it and i i i come back to ant a ton but i know ant's playing so i don't right right yeah so so yeah
1: what player is not giving consistent effort or like executing consistently that's what his implication right. is if you're not trying hard and you're not doing what we're talking about in practice then you're out well to me when i watch them like obviously there's extended stints of many of the games where it doesn't look like they're trying hard and they're not executing. But it feels more like a whole group thing, yeah. right? Like, it's hard for me to go, oh, that was Noel or that was Nas or that was whoever. Like, I don't know. I, I, it'll probably, I think it'll be one of those things that'll be more so determined, like, in practice, right? Or, or just in, I don't know, just in, the like, not stuff we can always see. Um, because it's just so hard to go off of anything. You know, it's so hard to go off of anything statistically as a justification. Like, I feel like for many people, Noel specifically, he's kind of been like this nice little story, right? He's consistently playing. He's played like 17, 18 minutes over the course of this run. He's kind of like a bucket getter. You know, you're excited about that. But then you just look at his numbers. It's like 44 from two, 34 from three. The offense has been terrible when he's out there. The defense is... The same as, you know, everyone else kind of has been. Nobody has really distinguished themselves enough statistically to say, like, other than maybe Vanderbilt.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that. He,
1: he might he might be the one where you're like, you can kind of feel his impact more so to the degree where he's kind of one of those fringe guys, but you feel like he's for sure going to be in. I don't like that end of the rotation. or I guess there's the whole bench. I could see it going Ten different ways, and and it could have to do with factors that have to do more with Rosa's than anything. Like who are the guys he drafted? Who are the guys they want to build around in the future? Like that isn't that isn't wouldn't be a Rosa's like overstepping his boundaries things that happens on yeah, every single sure. team yep. in, around around the league. They're like, well, I mean, obviously, like Ed Davis is a perfect example of that. Like they got Ed Davis as a means to getting off of Spellman and Evans, right? Like that, what they are committed to at Davis is nothing compared to what they're committed to watch Orna Gomez. So it's, it's maybe at Davis would be as good as some of these other guys, but there just isn't, you know, there isn't the commitment there. So I don't, I kind of have my hands up, like looking at my notes. I don't know what this rotation
2: is going to be. I'm not even sure if Jake Lehman's for sure going to be in it because I like, I love Jake Lehman. You know that as a player and I like what he brings to a team and I like how he fits alongside other like good pieces. Um, But I also could have seen for sure Finch just late in that five game stretch saying we need a stabilizing force. We need to try to compete in these couple games and generate some positive momentum. And then maybe he's back out to start the all-star break. That wouldn't shock me. Um, You think, I mean, I guess I'm kind of going the other way with
1: it where I feel like he chose to give Jake the opportunity. Yeah. And Jake looked good in the opportunity. Whereas, Pretty much everyone else who was in the rotation didn't look good. It, like, what would be the logic to taking lame? I have layman like penned into my post all star break rotation.
2: Like, yeah, that's where I would put him too. But I mean, you just, you know, like you just talked about with Rosas being committed to guys. Like, what are they committed to? Jake layman, nothing. So that totally is like if you feel like you need somebody to help your team win. Mm -hmm. that's why Jake Lehman's playing. So that's, that's my only reason is that there there's no obligation to play him beyond trying to win games.
1: I think we're both of the mind that there's going to come this chunk of the season where, you know, the core is all back on the floor together where it's, you know, cat D'Lo Beasley and Ant, And I think in that run of time, you do want to surround them with guys like Jake Lehman, who you just kind of, they're more known commodities. I put Vanderbilt in that too. I think Nas has kind of shown, you know, to be that. Whereas you get like a little bit more conservative and and you you don't take as as many of those shots. So I think they want if it's twenty games with all four of those guys. I think they want to go ten and ten for sure that stretch. Yeah. and then you and then you play you play the guys like Lehman and stuff. So it feels like one of those things is going to go back and forth. Like there's going to be. This maybe layman will start for eight games and then he might be back out of the rotation again and then he might, you know, then he might be back in it. I feel like that's what makes the most sense.
2: Yeah, I I could. I mean, I it would make a lot of sense to me if the rotation pre Beasley and Russell's return is different than the rotation. Well, obviously, guys will be out of it when they return, but just who else is playing and who's playing large minutes just based on complementary skill sets.
1: Just but, almost like what they're even aiming at to do, like being big or small or fast or defensive or shooting. Like he's gonna
2: have to, Finch is gonna have to choose an identity. Yeah. Of, be, over this, these eight
1: games till Beasley's back.
2: This roster, that, that's that's the whole. That's the easiest thing to poke at. This roster is you have to choose. Mm-hmm. Like you, can, you can't be fast and defensive. You can't have shooting and defense. It's like which thing are we choosing to hang our hat on here? Because we don't have the meshing points to have a little bit of everything, right?
1: Uh let's take a quick break. I want to keep talking about this. Yeah. Have you ever said to yourself, "I love the fact that I've had the same pair of sheets since just after college and I've never liked them, but I keep washing them every week and putting them back on the bed just like it's totally normal." Well, stop it. Brooklyn can make that voice in your head And the bad sheets on your bed go away. Brooklinen was started by Rich and Vicky, who also tried to boost their home essentials in a way that didn't cost them an arm and a leg. And when they couldn't, they founded Brooklinen, which is the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without luxury-level markups. Brooklinen has a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and tastes. Brooklinen has over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting. They're so confident... You will love their products that they even have a 365-day money-back guarantee. And Brooklinen is also so much more than sheets. They've got comforters. they got pillows, towels, loungewear, more. So go to brooklinen.com and use promo code MORE, my last name, M-O-O-R-E, to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus you get free shipping. That's brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, and enter promo code MORE to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more and free shipping, brooklynin.com and use promo code more at checkout. All right, Jay. So let's, uh, let's think about this sec, this third quarter of the season, which is the you know, the next 18 games and how it'll shake out is eight games until the trade deadline, where, you know, you're going to be without both Beasley and DLO. That's going to have its own sort of chunk of time where it's, I think it's probably going to feel a lot like these, the previous five Finch games have. Hopefully, maybe with some more competence, effort, execution, all those sort of things can't have less. <laughs> exactly. So I, I think it's going to kind of feel like that. But I mean, how like how What do you? How consistent is this roster going to even be? Can we even like think about ten games into the future with this team, given? That it seems more likely than not that the roster will probably change at the deadline.
2: Well, that's just it. I mean, if it's going to change a lot at the deadline, then what do these next, what do these pre-deadline games even mean?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: I mean, it's a value, it's it's evaluation for the wolves and evaluation for the other teams of the wolves roster, right? I mean, how much do you buy
1: into the idea of like
2: showcasing players? Not very much. I don't. I I buy into it none. Yeah, I mean, what what team is going to be like? Well. We didn't think very highly, but the last three games, the guy played, you know, 25 minutes and, and scored 10 points a game. So, Well, I, I'm, I'm sure
1: no team is looking at my little spreadsheet. I gave <laughs> yeah. you like, ooh, Lehman <laughs> led the team
2: at two point percentage <laughs> over the 19 games. That's, I mean, like, that's the whole thing of showcasing. Like, let's play a guy a lot as if these teams are just like turning on League Pass on Wednesday night and being like, I actually thought that guy looks pretty good. <laughs> let's make a deal. I, yeah, I, I just I
1: feel like in emails or, you know, Twitter or whatever I get that it's like, oh, they're just they're starting
2: Layman to showcase something. Yeah, like, right. That's how I was having a dog. <laughs> like, <laughs> Especially before the before the All-Star break, like unless I'm what is that showing anybody? And J- what's Jake Lehman gonna showcase like I mean he is who he is, you know, and for
1: better or worse. No, I think Jake Layman started playing more and, and started and I think will probably start after the deadline because he, he totally lost confidence and a rhythm at the beginning yep. of the year. And for this team, for Gerson Rosas, for Chris Finch, it's important to have that veteran sort of guy who, you know, does the normal stuff once. Cause they do want that chunk of time. They do want to have a run of competent play here. So I think why Jake's playing is because they know they're going to play Jake when the games quote unquote, start to matter. Like one after the deadline, but for the rest of the roster, man, like I don't know, I don't know who's gonna be here. You, you know, you make, you add one power forward to the mix at the trade deadline, that has a ripple effect through the whole roster. I mean, you pushes down Vanderbilt, pushes down. I mean, we have, the, we do this thing where we're like, oh, the Wolves' power forward position is a disaster. Yet we want everyone to play. Yeah, we're exactly. Like,
2: right. Well, Vanderbilt, <laughs> great
1: energy. McDaniel's is.
2: That's what I'm. hundred percent
1: true. He's this guy. I mean in
2: layman, he's best plus minus on yep. the team. Like, you we know, see the best in everybody and then it, but admit that the team as a whole is very bad. <laughs> I do it all the time. I do it all the
1: time. I'm here like, play Josh Kogi at power forward. And then I'm also like, Josh Kogi is not doing well. You know, so it's it's uh I don't know. I I, I think I do think post deadline that similar to last season, even though that team was kind of like just thrown together, you did kind of have those 14 games where you knew what they were about. Like they weren't good, but they're playing a certain way. And I just think it's important for this team to have another 14, 15 game run during the second half of the year where we're like, this is at least what we know we want it to look like. Right? Because pretty much the entire Saunders era, they're playing slow. I mean, they, they weren't, playing at all the way that Chris Finch and Gershon Rosas have wanted to play. So not only are those stats kind of irrelevant, the whole like scheme with which in they were playing with was became kind of irrelevant because Ryan was coaching for his job. He was trying to win games,
2: not instill a system. And, and pace-wise, they were still it was still pretty fast. Um, it, but the pace number is not I am all about the the pace number not really showing how fast you play. No, it it. it, I think
1: more than anything else, what the pace number shows is how sloppy you play.
2: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and even some good bad quick shots, you know, like it's just counting possessions. Yep, exactly. That's all pace is doing. Like that was, you know, like when when Jeff Teague was here and Tyus Jones were here, and everybody felt that the team played faster when Tyus Jones was on the court, mm
1: -hmm. and Jeff
2: Teague's pace numbers were always higher, like Like significantly. Yeah, exactly. But that's how you can't really like define pace oh, by that because, one number.
1: That's because Tyus Jones led the league in assist to turnover ratio and Teague turned it over. Right, right. Like, yeah. I, I think that's so. I guess what I what I mean by that is okay, like, first 20 games of last season when the yep. Wolves were good, 10 and 10 or whatever. Like, that team.
2: When the Wolves felt were good, fast. 10 and 10. <laughs> I think they were 10 and 8. They I were 10, 10 and 8.
1: It's just so funny. It's like that when the Wolves were good. I mean, that's as good as they've been in three years (laughs) was that was that run of time it it kind of to me it's kind of about feel it's like what does this feel like are they getting out and are they like are they running right is is the offense like bang 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 we're like trying to move through it because I guess what I'm saying with Ryan this year is it felt more deliberate and it kind of had to Ricky kind of makes it feel that way that's just his nature all those sort of things so I think we'll know if this team is playing fast because we'll just be watching them and we'll be like, they're getting out, you know, they're getting out. It's more to me about like the timing things, how fast you cross half court, how quick you go from offensive rebound to shot. Like, that's what pace is to me. And those numbers are, you can't just sort for them on NBA.com slash stats. It's it's there's more nuance to it as much
2: as we'd like to. I mean, that's but I mean, that's just it. Did they play fast with, like, did Russell play fast at the end of last year after the trade deadline? I don't really remember that. Um, Sloppy. (laughs) Yeah, sure, right. Yeah, right. Uh, And and that's what's going to be interesting when we talk about that last part of the year and how you want to see it have an identity. And I think we're finally going to, if we get the full roster, we're finally going to see, can D'Angelo Russell run a team with pace? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if the answer is yes or not, but we should find out. And and then, I mean, is Ant going to keep starting with Beasley and Russell? Out there because, oh, yeah.
1: I mean, you think he's not gonna know the optics of demoting him are,
2: I understand that, but then who's gonna play the four next to Carl because you have so much to compensate for at that point,
1: yeah. I mean, probably Vanderbilt still, or traded for power forward X, yeah, yeah, that that, but
2: that that player better be really strong defensively, but
1: well, I mean, that hasn't been a requirement to start in the past.
2: Well, with like, these results. I mean, you know I, yeah, but if you want to win games, yeah.
1: I think that's a different conversation. like that's a different conversation if we're talking about the offseason and starting next year. Like, I think they're gonna probably score a peg round hole some stuff this year. Sure. The rest of the way because they just don't have that you know, that many options. I think if they don't trade for, you know, Aaron Gordon or John Collins, then it's Vanderbilt still and you go you go cat, Vando, Ant, Beasley, D'Lo, and the teams gonna be terrible defensively. It just, it, I don't know. I mean, who's the, who's the best defensive power forward in the NBA or who's a good example that would be best for this team?
2: Blank. Like Paul Millsap from a few years ago. <laughs> not currently.
1: <Yeah. laughs> Let, let's say like Pascal Siakam, right? Okay. Like that's a, that's a, whatever. An example of somebody we think of as a really good, Defensive power forward. How good... If Pascal Siakam was magically on the Timberwolves for the second half of this season or for next season, and your starting five is Cat, Siakam, Ant, Beasley, D'Lo, like, what does that team rank in defensive rating in the league? Like 25th, probably. Yeah, like, I mean, still... Th- and so that's kind of my, my, my whole point that, you know, and maybe that group, that group probably if everything's clicking, maybe they are a, a top
2: eight offense. Well, like, if you're 25th, you need to be like a top five offense.
1: Yeah. So I guess that's kind of my point is, and it's why, you know, when I've talked about Britt or on other, with, talked about it with Britt or on other pods, it's like, I don't know. Like how, even if you put in the perfect defensive power forward, I don't know how you can say like, we're good here with this right. starting lineup given Given how far Ant has to go to improve as a defender, given how limited Malik and Dilo are as defenders, it just—it just really is shaping up. If they don't break that up, they just don't care about defense, and they're trying to be literally the best offense in the league. I think that's the plan, unless you flip the roster. And ben Simmons, Ben Simmons. That would that would be my answer there.
2: Okay, well. He, you could have just told me then that I could pick literally any position I wanted.
1: Yeah, well he's he plays every position.
2: <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah. I mean, well, according to Ben Simmons, if you ask for who's the best small forward, it'd be Ben Simmons, best shooting guard, it'd be Ben Simmons, best <laughs> point guard defensively, it'd be Ben Simmons. So
1: I don't know. And you know what, maybe it would be different. I, I would, you know, I would like to see. I just go back to the fact that, you know, everybody thinks Covington's a great defender. Covington played alongside cat
2: didn't work. It did know. for a little bit until he actually started playing the defensive scheme and then it did not work. Exactly.
1: It worked, which I mean, I know that's a hill that, or that's something that you and I talk about often is like, I would love to see that in the second half of the year. Like, why don't we, what, let's try a couple different defensive things. Yeah. Let's, let's get, let's get more creative. I mean, we've seen some of that with Vanderbilt, you know, playing more aggressive defensively rather than just the, you know, the very, conservative style of defense built around cat like why not why it can't not be worse try? right I, it's a data point right yeah like, right and and then try for 15 games you know post deadline and and if it proves that you know cat gets too tired playing more aggressive defensively or they just can't execute that either now at least you have like some ground to stand on of well, we tried the other thing. We, we, we tried, we think now, we now know that conservatively dropping back Cat and, and playing this way is probably the best way to go about it. Right now, it's all just theoretical that the way they use Cat is the best way to use him defensively.
2: And that's what's interesting. Like Gerson, when he was kind of in charge of, of the, the back then D League team for Houston, that was. That group and doing a little research into Chris Finch was like one of the most innovative, like trying different things, like basically treating it like a minor league system. Like, Hey, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's just try this. And it might not work. It might be terrible, but just try it because we just want data points. And they were doing that defensively. they were doing that defensively as well. Yeah. Like one of the things was they literally were like sending everybody left. Like, every single player, no matter what. I kind of remember that. Yeah, whether it was dominant hand or not, sending everybody left. But just things like like that, it would have seemed like this would be a good year or a time to try some of that stuff. And maybe, especially before Russell and Beasley come back, I guess, but defensively, even afterwards. You know, just try different things to see if you can get improvement on that end of the court. And I'm waiting to maybe see a little bit more of that innovation that, you know, was a part of Rosas' past, at least.
1: Right. No, that's interesting. And I, I, I think... I do think this year has been more innovative defensively. I think, A I think bit, we saw, yeah. I thought we saw, you know, Ryan, I mean, it was just so conservative mm-hmm. um, when they were good, 10 to 10. So they do have that data point of like, you know, that was some of the best defense cat has played was, was at the beginning of last season. And it, you know, they were defending the rim. Well, like that, you know, that, that made some sense, but Ryan, he kind of kicked that. A little bit to the side and was like, We're going to try different things. We're going to be, you know, they have this year switched all four off ball all the time. That is not, or around cat. Like, right.
2: One through four. Yeah.
1: That, that wasn't a thing, you know, back in the day or a year ago. I mean, so yeah, just why not? And I think that's just the place everyone's at. And I don't, I don't see how your Chris Finch or Gerson Rosas or even Dave Vantable and be like, Yeah, I don't know. Let's let's mess around. Let's get let's get some more data points. Make everybody go left. (laughs) Um, Okay. so what I want to go through. It was funny re-listening to our podcast because at first, because at first, (laughs) at first we were pretty accurate. And uh, I'll start with that where it was. So when we recorded was right after Ricky Rubio and Ed Davis's uh, introductory press conference. We literally did it the afternoon after that. And I and just so listened just, to
2: Ricky talk. I probably was sky high on the Timberwolves.
1: You kind of were, but I was agreeing with you. What, one thing that you said, and I was like, yeah, yeah, for sure. was, you know, Ricky's probably better than Malik. <laughs> oh we, yeah. We were like, well, it probably goes, or we were ranking like the players of the team. We're like, it's like Cat and d And then the third best players, you know, probably Rubio over, over Malik. And I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, historically speaking, you 40% from three, all this and that. Um, we were wrong there. That's, that is that's yes. wrong. Yep. But yep. we but we did call the rotation. We we did call the rotation. And you what you what you said was that they will try Lehman or Wancho at power forward and realize that it doesn't work defensively and will go to Vanderbilt. Which I think was I mean, Vanderbilt got pumped up a bunch yeah. during the like whatever summer camp time. But preseason
2: um, oh yeah, but we hadn't seen any preseason yet.
1: Yeah. Okay. And and I think just the idea was I mean it was probably more founded in the idea that Wancho or Lehman just aren't gonna be enough defensively, but you're like, yeah, I think it'd probably go to starting Vanderbilt or Ed Davis. And you know, that that has proven out. Uh we we both saw – oh the one thing we said was we didn't neither of us thought Nas Reed would play. That was wrong. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. That that I, one was kind of surprising.
2: Yeah, I I I'm willing to bite the bullet on that one. Uh, Nas Reed is better than I thought he was for sure. Uh, and now still exactly what type of player he is, like what his ceiling is. I'm not sure, but he's, I think he's definitely a backup center in the NBA for sure. I think, um, I, I think that's one of the, like, like a, like a middle tier one, I think, not like a 30th mm-hmm. best backup center, you know, it's right. The no, positives. I,
1: and, and I think we kind of came into the year going like, Oh, they traded for Ed Davis. Like, yeah. You know, he's going to, you know, he's going to be the backup center. And it became clear from day one and, you know, actually, you know, credit to Kirsten and Orion back to last season that they, they did see this in Nas. Like I think whatever ranking we just gave Nas of the 40th best center in the league, like they kind of believed in that. And, and, and they have from the beginning and that's totally, I mean, that's been, I don't think that's been as good of a development story this year. kind of back to back, like, That was a really good development story last year. And again, this year too, like Nas looks legit.
2: He does. does, Yeah.
1: You know, and you know, I don't want to totally do the, the trading cat thing, but like there just is, there's, there's just a reality that within the next couple months or six months, that cat isn't on the team and you go into more of a, you know,
2: a rebuild sort of mode. Do you think so? Do you think that's a reality? Do you think that's a possibility? I don't.
1: I do. I, I do. I mean, I don't, the trade deadline, like no way. I I mean, not no way. I would be, okay, I don't but, know, I'll say, I think they're, I think they're a front office that gets out ahead of stuff.
2: Sure. But okay. I would just that's say that's a like, huge thing to get out ahead of. Looking at, I understand that, but I have to think that, The Timberwolves at the same time, like Glenn Taylor is probably looking at the Gerson-Rosas regime and going, this is going really bad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he thinks Carl Anthony Towns is a player they can build around, I'm sure. And so Gerson then, who is probably not, Glenn's not thinking he's doing an incredible job. um, Mm -hmm. And now is going to come in and be like, hey, I want to get rid of our best player. Um, If you're Glenn, are are you going to be like, really? I'm not that sounds like a bad idea. And I'm already not so sure how this is all going. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's where I just, I don't see that playing out as a legitimate possibility. I think it's, I think it would make some sense, um, but I don't, I guess that's what I'm getting at is
1: it. it, We're getting to the point where it could make some sense just in the idea that the Wolves might not be ready to compete for the playoffs in, you know, cats next sort of the rest of his contract. Right. Like, they, they might not be at that point. And then, really, I mean, the factor here, the pushing factor, is Cat would be wanting out. Yeah. Like, I, you know, and I think that would be a behind-closed-doors sort of thing that happens if and when, you know, if and when Cat is traded, it would come out after the fact that, you know, he, you know, he did push for that himself. I don't think... I can't see them just like, well, we just had to cut bait. It was the right move to do, like, ruthlessly. Like, I don't think that'll happen. I'm just... It doesn't feel irresponsible <clears throat> to me to start thinking about it. It feels irresponsible to say, like, oh, yeah, he's a he's a trade deadline target here in two weeks. Yeah, I, for like, sure. Like, don't, I don't I think they that. They
2: still don't know what it looks like with <laughs> the pieces they have. I mean, they still don't know that.
1: For sure. It, it's just... I don't know I mean it, it it depends if you're Glenn and the people who are in Glenn's ear if you go even keeping our best player what does that look like if you keep cat for the rest of his contract and 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 who knows maybe those people would be like you know it's it's going to be really good I think though that there's a world where it is a trade package that isn't you know isn't just for first it's players who are not just rotation guys but like who could come in and really like be good, like a good young 23 year olds who I I think that type of deal makes sense. Plus you end up getting a top five pick in this draft. Like that would make some sense to me. And, and that's where I think the trade deadline window opens up some, because you're like, how do you, how do you trade for a top five pick in this draft? If you don't make that trade right now, like we could do it. Like it's not going to be an Andrew Wiggins thing again, where, somebody drafts Andrew Wig- drafts Cade Cunningham. And then a month later he gets traded for Kevin Love or cat like that. Just that doesn't so happen. rarely yeah. happens. Yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I don't know. And, and maybe, maybe this is just me being like the team seven and 29. They've won four of the last 35 games with cat. I can cop to being a prisoner of the moment there, but it doesn't feel irresponsible to me to start thinking about. And what I was getting at was if that does happen, very hypothetical, if, like could Nas Reed be the starting center of a rebuilding team next year?
2: Well, of a rebuilding team for sure. Um I
1: still think that's a pretty big like testament to him.
2: It is, yeah, for sure. Um but but rebuilding towards what? I just think if Nas is your starting center, and he's been a little better defensively this year, but he's not even as good as Carl is. Um you're right. really going to struggle on that end of the court, and it doesn't matter. But at the point when you're rebuilding, like you have to decide what does matter, um, mm-hmm. and and again, like are you building around Nas or are you building around Ant? And if you're building around Ant, shouldn't you put a few more pieces that are more complementary and cover up some of his weaknesses? Right. Than that, and is Ascendal and I like, guess that's Nas what you that? would be
1: hoping that you acquire in the trade.
2: Sure. So a power a forward. In the, a Problem. power
1: forward and a three, you know, who are two way players.
2: Okay. Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess that makes
1: sense. Um, I mean, I'm with you. I, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say yeah, Cat's going to get traded for sure. But I know for me, for the past two years when I've been writing or talking about no this way. team, I've said no way, no way. Like yeah. you, you could wait until the last year of Cat's contract and still get a load yeah. for him. That's what I've always said. So it's mm-hmm. like make this work, make this work. And that was because I was like, you know, you start kind of progressing linearly to some extent, and then, you know, see where you're at in whatever that is, 2023, but they haven't progressed, you know, they they haven't progressed over these past two years. So I just, I just question how tenable this is. How long is cat going to keep coming on post game with us? And, you know, seriously, like (laughs) having a smile, talking positively, saying he's committed to the organization, like props to him for doing it. But like he's, you don't think he's aware that this is hurting his reputation?
2: Like, yeah, yeah, but don't you – and I understand this is really frustrating, and I think it's frustrating. And the main thing when I was looking at you know that, that spreadsheet of players is I'm not sure how much better those guys have gotten in terms of playing team basketball at all this year. Um, I yeah. think they're all in very similar spots. They make the same mistakes, as Ricky Rubio touched on last week. You can say like what Ricky Rubio – like he's not playing well, and that's true, but everything you said is tr- right. Um, yeah. They They really aren't – improving in defensive rotations improving in offensive execution improving in learning how to play off the ball and and even just move around the perimeter and and cut to the hoop like it it looks still like a summer league team in in that respect in a lot of ways although the wolf summer league team was historically usually pretty good Uh, but that's what i'm
1: talking about about untenable jace is it's like how long can that keep going?
2: Well, I think for Carl, the frustration's not really going to boil over until he's playing with D'Angelo and they're still losing all that. Totally all fair. Time.
1: That yeah, that that that's totally fair. And you know, I just think I think this becomes a fair conversation to have in the offseason.
2: Yeah, after we've At, seen it for a little bit and it still isn't very good. Fair. And maybe they go even if they go like say they play twenty games and they go like eight and twelve, like that's not good you know, mm-hmm. and, and you could say, well, we can make strides here and here, but in one off season with, with your two max players, if you're eight and 12, what kind of improvements are you going to make where you're going to get above five? You don't have your
1: pick. You don't have yeah, any money. Exactly. Like, right. All that right. stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, the, the final thing for the podcast is we both, <laughs> we both took the over <clears throat> on 34 wins mm. and we're pretty <laughs> confident about that. It was it what we did. We looked at it, uh, we prorated it out if it were an 82 game season. Okay. So we, you said 36 and 46, and I said like 35 or something, which was that they were going to be a slightly under 500 team, which which we were wrong about. But I oh, mean,
2: season's not over yet, Dane.
1: <laughs> it, it's obviously a million. What we also both said was you could win 34 games or be you know a seven to ten games under 500 team. And still be really bad and out of the playoffs. Like, neither of us were picking this team, you know, to be in the playoffs. I think we were just, obviously, we weren't anticipating Cat and D'Lo being out for a long time. We weren't anticipating everything that's happened. And it is just kind of like a reminder that our once rational minds believed more in this Cat and D'Lo thing.
2: Yeah, and I I think just seeing the two separately... And we haven't—we've barely seen it all together. But seeing the two separately, I think we're just enough seeing both of them in front of our faces, where we kind of put it together and say, "I don't think this is going to work. I don't mm-hmm. think this is going to mesh enough to be like a good team. Like offensively, it could be pretty good, you know. Um, but I still think that. And I know you thought that a lot. You very much thought that at the start of the year. I still think it could be successful, but like but it you, is
1: hard when you've watched D'Lo independently, yeah. be bad offensively, and you've watched Cap be as bad his this is his worst offensive season individually too i get a million different factors that go into that but these aren't like tiny sample sizes yeah. like Delos played what deals played like 22 games this year cats played like that many like i don't know they haven't looked good when when they've been on the floor they haven't been on the floor together but I, those are the questions you have to ask yourself as a gm do i need to see this do i need to see this to know
2: well, and that's where, you know, you talk about like a cat trade though. And this is where I wonder if Glenn Taylor would even give Gersten the leash to, because Glenn would probably look and say if, if Rosas was like, Hey, this roster doesn't work. And if I was Glenn, I'd be like, this is your roster. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it just is, but mm-hmm. like you said with the preseason predictions, like we weren't that high, like 36 wins. I think I, my thought was they were going to finish, like, 11th or 12th and threaten for the 10th seed in the West. That's 11th or yep. 12th out of 15 teams is not good, and they're just well, going to fall woefully short of that. And what we both were talked about,
1: which is also factored into this, is we were both were like, well, they don't have any incentive to tank. Right. So we thought that even if they were <laughs> even if they were around the 11th seed all year, that they would be trying the whole second half of the season to, like— might as well just go try and yeah. win these games because we don't have our pick anyways, and so so that is like a big factor. Or have I mean, who knows to what extent it has been? But it it would make sense to be a factor here in the second half of the season, like the last ten games of the season. I don't, you know, I don't care who you are. Like it makes sense to lose as many of those last ten games as you can. That's just
2: unless you've you know, already locked in. Mm-hmm. A bottom three spot, which is possible. The, it, the gap's pretty wide right now.
1: Yeah, I just think there's going to be a lot of losing at the end of the season. Like, From if a Houston, lot of teams, yeah. If you're Houston. Like, I didn't even really realize that. Like Houston only has their pick if it's top five. Do you know that?
2: Yeah, but I'm saying like Houston might... Who is going to be the fourth worst team? Because Houston's going to be in that bottom Fair. three with Minnesota. Who is going to be that fourth worst team? And how many... Games will Minnesota even have to win, have to lose to guarantee that that team doesn't catch them at the end of the year. It might be totally. It looks totally like totally that right reach. now. You're, yeah. you're
1: right. It, it it totally looks like that right now. But I'm just saying we got 36 games left. Like yeah,
2: and if D'Angelo and Malik come back and they even just play, you know, okay. 400, well, 400 basketball, you'll make up ground on teams. Yeah,
1: you do because it's like all right. The, the Wolves have seven wins. Detroit has 10. Houston has 11. Orlando has 13. Sacramento has 14. Cleveland has 14. Washington has 14. Like that's 7 like it only takes a yeah. few of those team only need 3 of them to get below you to push you down out of a spot but generally speaking you're like the thing Wolves fans need to look at is the Wolves don't need to have the worst record in the league to have their best possible odds they need to have a top 3 worst record that's how the lottery odds work and that's probably why they protected the pick in that way in the first place right like there's it's all all things are equal 1 2 or 3 worst record in the league so i don't know i think they will Finesse that line of wanting to have a good stretch of games when the roster's healthy and also losing at the end of the year because it would make
2: a but it makes then it almost makes more sense to lose all of these next eight or nine. Well, I'm kind of banking on that. <laughs> I... Recent data suggests
1: it's likely. <laughs> I got a spreadsheet. The the raw spreadsheet.
2: We've got the schedule. I'm going to send it to all the execs. I know. Check out this 19 game sample size. I think they're going to, I think they care more probably about losing these next nine than showcasing Uh, guys for a trade. deadline. That's not going to matter.
1: Exactly. Okay. Last question for you. Um, What is next year? Like if the wolves pull a rabbit out of the hat and get Cade Cunningham? How does that change the trajectory of this franchise? They they keep their pick in the top three and they win the lottery. There's a 14 percent chance of that if they if they finish with a bottom three record
2: in the league. Well, then I think at that point you probably I would then kind of a nice spot. You go, you get yeah. Do you? But okay, are you then maybe not a little bit more willing to shake up the core? And start with the younger pieces, right? I mean, then I'd be like, well, this core, this young core here is really good. Um, maybe let's the maybe the 24 and 25 year old core were more willing to butt out at that point, um, because we're gonna put the ball in these guys' hands. Because, well, it gives you two
1: paths, right? Yeah. Like, there's that one, which is you know, the young rebuild, and you go Cade Cunningham, Anthony Edwards, and I mean, even you know, Jaden. Malik's young, all yeah. those sort of guys yeah. that are under you know, 25. Everybody's, young. I mean, everybody's, everybody's yeah. young. You you kinda you kinda lean into that more. Or you can go the other way where it's like, man, now we got Kat, D'Lo, and Cade Cunningham, and we could trade Ant and Malik Beasley for something. Or we, you know, pick and choose your your non core assets there there. Or choose what your core is and then the next best pieces outside of that. I, I mean, I don't know. And Anthony Edwards and Malik Beasley. Package as just the player part of it, plus picks on top of that. Like, that's a pretty awesome package. If you know, if star player X becomes maybe well, yeah, but you
2: can't you can't put picks on top of it if you if you don't have your pick the next year, which you don't in a Cade Cunningham situation.
1: Well, you could do your twenty twenty four, sure. That's 2024, not... 2026 I mean, yeah. okay, so yeah. let's do the package. Yeah. So it's it's Ant yep. Malik twenty twenty four unprotected, twenty twenty six unprotected, and you could trade your twenty twenty eight unprotected. Like that is a good package, throwing some pick swaps. Like I, that's, oh, that's it's a hell of a lot better. Yeah, a hell a of a lot package, better than what I mean. the 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 Rockets got for um for Harden.
2: Yeah, it's true. Yeah,
1: I I just like that's what I'm saying. It's a game changer. I think it is a game changer if you do keep one of these three because you can you can go young and you like that impressive young core, or or you can lean into Cat and D'Lo and build you know build good starters on them. Like I don't want to say. <laughs> The fate of the franchise is riding on it, but it is, man. It really is.
2: Your words. Your words. <laughs> well, think about think about what we're gonna have to do if they don't get the pick. They don't have much cap space. <laughs> we won't have any we won't hardly have any uh incoming draftees to watch or to like you know try to take stock of. I don't know what we're gonna do all offseason if they don't get the pick. I, mean, I don't even want to think that's why
1: that's why when Britt brought up this like cat for the Cavs guys trade you know to me i think it's really interesting if you're the wolves if you can get a top five pick in this draft because then you're like all right we've got a top five pick locked in call it the Cavs top five pick plus a 40 percent chance at their own pick yeah like that maybe i'm just this is the the content person in me you like, want Ooh. content otherwise we don't have any yeah i agree <laughs> i i don't know like we, we, we just talk so dismally about this team so often. And I do think that I do think there is a glass half full. Like actually there is, and it just requires probably some lottery luck and losing the second half of the year. But if you're holding out for something as a Timberwolves fan, I think it's that.
2: Yeah. It, it, it's just when you, when, when the hope is luck, that stinks.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, it's kind of the, it's kind of the bed they made. Yeah. Um, all right, Jace. Uh, thanks for doing this, everyone. Check out, uh, obviously, everything Jace writes for the Pioneer Press um, online at TwinCities.com. And and check out the Bunker to Bunker Pot with Dane Mizutani. Um, you can follow Jace on Twitter, at Jace Frederick. And I don't know. I'm sure we'll we'll get back at this maybe after the trade deadline. Well, we'll go back and listen to how stupid Fair this enough. sounded. Yeah, yeah. And, and then we can... We can <laughs> but make, and,
2: make sure you do what you did before and pick up my good parts, too. Like, the two things I got right. There there were, yeah,
1: you got, there was two things. There was two things that I, I think, I, yeah. We, we, we See, what we're good at is we're good at, like, the minutia. We're yeah, good right. at the minutia. The big picture, the big picture we're terrible at estimating.
2: Well, that's what, you know, I, I talk about, like, this is what I say with Gerson Rosas. He's really good on the margins, I think. Yeah. But being good on the margins matters only when you hit the big pieces, too. And then mm-hmm. the like, the margins can put you over the top. And right, like the if they nailed
1: the culver pick and you have the Nas and J yeah, and all that then, sort of then stuff. Then it's
2: great, you know, but you gotta get right. the big things right too. And mm-hmm. that's the same for us.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Alright, that's a good note to close on. I'm Dane. Uh until Thursday night after the Pelicans game. I will talk to you later. Peace out. you can find me Yeah, you yeah. Hope you like